Jason Hedges to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise, one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi, and with me is William Thrasher. Hello listeners out there, listening to the glorious two of us. This time around, we are looking at a, uh, starting off a new franchise of films, we're going to be looking at Emperor's New Groove from 2000, and uh, next week we'll be looking at the sequel called i think a uh, conk's new groove is that right that is correct the direct to video sequel conk's new groove and uh this uh before we get started i want to mention that our theme song is done by mark with the c check out his music at mark with dot com and we're part of the battleship pretension podcast fleet check out other great tv and film podcast at battleship dot com uh emperor's new groove came out in 2000 directed by mark dindall produced by randy fulmer screenplay by david David Reynolds with a story by Chris Williams and Mark Dindall, featuring the voices of David Spade, John Goodman, Eartha Kitt, Patrick Warburton, music by John Debney, uh, original songs by Sting. Technically. Uh, but we'll get into Written that. by Sting, not perf- well, except for the end credit. Yeah, there's not much music in this one, uh, which we'll get into. Um, according to Box Office Mojo, off a budget of $100 million, this made $169 million, although, um, yeah, that sounds about right. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I do want to mention, you know, we got feedback from one of our listeners, uh, Stephen, who's from the UK, and uh, or from England, I should say. Um, but, well, I, I think that's still, for the moment, part of the UK. For the moment, as of this recording. Not March to date 27th. this show, but, you know. Yes, March 27th, 2017. Um, he made a point that sometimes when he listens to the show, uh, he doesn't always see the movies we're talking about, so he'd appreciate a brief synopsis at the beginning, which I thought was a great idea. So I think we can um, start with that and then go about our usual business and so forth. Okay. So, and I'm going to make this short. And Emperor's, Emperor's New Groove is about a um, an em- the titular Emperor Cusco, who is a jerk. Uh, through um, through circumstances, he has turned into a uh, a llama, and. He uh, spends much of the film with a, a peasant named Pacha, and they go through a series of adventures and try to turn him back from llama into human. And sort of one, one of the the cruxes of the film is, can you know is is, is he going to stay a jerk forever like he is in the beginning? And the bad guy is his um, chancellor. Fo- his chancellor, thank you, uh, Isma, voiced by Eartha Kitt, and um, her sidekick is Kronk. And Played by they Patrick try Warburton. to, yeah, done by t- Patrick Warburton, and they try to track him down. That's sort of the sh- very short, short, uh, high-level <coughs> version of what happens in the film. And that was my dog Starbucks barking just then for no good reason. Um, yeah, in two thousand, I was not watching Disney cartoons in the theater at this time. I, I thought I saw Emperor's New Groove as the title. I thought of the movie How Stella Got Her Groove Back. <laughs> I found the commercials kind of annoying, so I didn't catch this until. It came out on video, but I will say I've, um, over the years, I, I've I've dated a few women where this was one of their favorite Disney cartoons. 
those women have good tastes. Um, I saw this movie right before uh, I went to college, uh, and I had also kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, given up on Disney movies uh, at this point. But I fell in love with The Emperor's New Groove for a number of reasons. Uh, One, I'm a comedy nerd, so I loved that David Spade uh, and Patrick Warburton were going to be in it, who are probably two of the people I least expected to show up in an animated movie uh, of Mm. any kind. Uh, I also, I love... I love good music, and I love old-fashioned 60s camp, so the fact that Eartha Kitt was in this movie, uh, and Tom Jones, those two things just blew my mind, so I had to see it. And then two, I was, or three, I guess, I was aware of this film's troubled production history. Um, I've always been into animation, and so I had been following through fan magazines and through, like, animation trades and, and, and whatnot, the the story of this up this upcoming Disney movie Kingdom of the Sun, which looked to be really really interesting, and so I was aware of what this how this film started its life, and was also kind of perplexed about how it turned into this, and I really wanted to see what the thing I'd been reading about for two years, what it had sort of pupated into. Right, and I think we might as well start with that sort of the the trouble back history. Um, there's an unreleased documentary that you can find online called The Sweatbox. Were you able to take a peek at that? Uh, yes, I was. However, the the file I had, uh, the file that I was able to track down, um, the video cut out after about 27 minutes. I see. And so there was just audio from that point on, so I only really saw the first 27 minutes of the documentary, but what I saw was fascinating. Yeah, uh, so The the Sweatbox, it's a documentary um, co-directed by Stain's wife uh, about the making of the film, and it really shows um, uh, all animation films change in some way during development, but the way this one changed was pretty extreme. Uh, Initially, this was supposed to be about character of Cusco um, also had it was going by the name Monco and he had a twin brother that was voiced by Owen Wilson well he wasn't a twin brother he was a peasant, oh, peasant. Llama that farmer looks like who him. looked just like him and That's so there right. was a prince in yeah. the pauper switch prince of the pauper switch um, the the tone was more epic more serious they got to the point where they did you know character designs and uh, animation, you know, animatic, tests. animation tests storyboards Sting wrote several songs for it um and and then when they did a screening for the executives, the executives said, well, this is really boring and the pacing is leaden. And uh, we liked uh, some of the music numbers, but they basically didn't like anything else. And um, originally it was uh, this was going to be called Kingdom of the Sun to be directed by Mark Dindal, uh, who was younger, and then Roger uh, Allers, who was a co-director of The Lion King. And uh, Allers got booted off the project and um, Mark Dindal, you know, uh, Executives wanted it to be like a lighthearted buddy comedy. Complete characters were dropped. Um, at several points in the documentary, Sting looks like he wants to quit. <laughs> because, uh, I quoted, he said the original version, it was sort of like an ink version of the Bible, very epic. And the new story is about family and friendship, while good values are not on a big scale. And um, it it's just really pretty... At one point it has Sting uh, pitching a fit at the original um, ending of Emperor's New Groove, in which it was going to show as a payoff the Emperor made all sorts of water slides and fancy things, and he said it was sort of undercutting the, the moral of the, the story. 
Um, so it, it's it, it's a pretty raw look, and uh, you know Disney did not ever officially allow it to be released. It's on the uh, DVD and Blu-ray in a, a super super cut down like five minute version about the music. Um, oh, and and just so so that we get the you know credit where credits due, this was directed by Trudy Styler. Oh, okay, yep, and uh, and John Paul Davidson. They both directed it and um, produced it yep so let's <laughs> go back to but yeah emperor's new groove i mean uh, the first thing i think about this film is it's a bit like it doesn't feel much like disney well you it know, reminds it, me it, more it, of like warner brothers it's, it's more physical comedy well i i look at this and i feel like this is the movie that dreamworks has been trying to make <laughs> for the past uh what 15 years uh, something like that, yeah. But you know, I, I, I love the fact that that Disney just did a a straight up comedy. And wh- while I love the princess movies, I do like that we get to see two guys just be be unambiguous friends. I thought that was that was really fun to see. Well, and what's crazy, the um, you know, the sort of setting and the look of some of the characters. Did you know that this Emperor's New Groove came out uh, the same year as Road to El Dorado? Yes, yes, it did. Which was a DreamWorks cartoon movie at the time, which... Um, music by Elton John. With music by Elton John. And uh, we're not really going to talk about that. I don't think... I, I saw Road to El Dorado in theaters. I didn't think it was too good. But, you know, st- some stuff with the setting and the character designs between this and Emperor's New Groove um, kind of remind me of... Uh, they sort of remind me of each other, I think. Well, what it, it's it's that thing where you know if a big studio is making a big enough movie, another studio will try to make that same movie. So you often get movies that echo each other. It's just very rare because of the lead time. It's very rare that that happens with animated films. But as a result of the of you know the production history of Kingdom of the Sun, everybody knew they were making it, and so somehow we got two Mesoamerican uh, animated films. <laughs> Right, where it's like white people voicing all the roles. It's yeah. Eartha Kitt's not white, Matt. Eartha Kitt's okay. I take that. Eartha Kitt is not white, but the majority of the roles are voiced by white people. Um, the you know, let's talk about some of the characters here before we get into the plot. David Spade is is really perfectly cast as Emperor Cusco. He has the perfect amount of smarm, and I just I love. I I I just love his his whole look at me dig who I am attitude throughout much of this film. Yeah, and at this point he had done um a lot of television but like in the movies you know he had done the the two pictures with the Chris Farley Tommy Boy and Black Sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh he was also in PCU but it wasn't until after this cartoon that he started you know having uh, movies that he starred in in the lead. Um like Joe Dirt and Dickie Roberts and those sort of things. Yeah, I, th- I think at this point, the two biggest things in his career had been his stint on SNL uh, and uh, his uh, role Just Shoot on me. Just Shoot Me, yes. Yeah, that's right. So it is, um, yeah, but I mean, David Spade is best when he's he's sparmy and sort of a jerk, and this movie has a lot of like uh, narration that breaks the fourth wall, and it, it it's just a really good fit. You also have... As the other main character, John Goodman plays Pacha. Um, lest we forget, you know, Pixar used John Goodman a few years later in Monsters Incorporated. Mm-hmm. 
And, and here's Pacha, John Goodman, uh, you know, who is, is best known for playing the role of the husband on the sitcom Roseanne. Is um, he brings a lot of warmth to the character? Well, he play he just plays this nice, like humble family man who's just perfectly at peace with where he is in the world. There, there's something gonna there's there's something very like quiet and noble about him, and just the fact that even when Cusco is being an asshole and putting him through hell, he still he still persists in doing trying to do the right thing, even if he's not particularly good at it. And that, when the scene where he and Cusco kind of have their falling out, that makes that scene hit that much more harder. Right. He's just a very uh, warm, kind character, you know, sort of the opposite of who David Spade's character is. And then as the bad guys, who I think in in some way are more interesting than the lead characters, (laughs) we have Eartha Kitt as Yzma. Yes, this uh, this aged advisor who's been serving Cusco's family for generations, but Cusco is uh, what I, I love. What gets the ball rolling is that Cusco, you know, he, he's co- he's come into he's come into power, and he thinks it's time for for Isma to to leave the job so that he can make you know make room for somebody younger who won't like drop dead in the middle of doing the job. So I, I love that it's him forcing her into retirement is what gets the ball rolling on this whole movie. Hmm. And I mean, the design of Yzma is really interesting. Oh, it's so good and so lively. It's like it's like this. I, I guess the best way I can describe the look is it's like heroin chic drag queen. Yeah, it's it's very distinctive. The it, crazy in a way, eyes I think, and eyebrows are so wonderfully camp. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know some of the angular look of some of the characters in this remind me a bit of the Disney Hercules cartoon. There were, you know, there there are echoes of that because like everything in in the Hercules film, there's like little subtle touches to sort of suggest that it's ancient Greece in the line work, and they kind of do this. They do the same thing here. There's wonderful use of of ninety degree angles and basic shapes and all the character designs that's reflective of the uh, was it Peruvian uh, ancient Peruvian art and architecture that they're basing this on. Right? Is it Peruvian yeah. or Incan? I. I or are those, oh, crud, are those the same thing? I took a Mesoamerican art history class in college, and unfortunately, the different regions and eras escape me. Um, I think it's supposed to be Peru. I'm not really sure. Um, apologies. But, uh, you know, as the, the sidekick to Isma, you have Kronk, voiced by Patrick, Patrick Warburton. Who's such who a wonderful the show. Dope. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. just a dope. But he, he's also, you know, sort of like Pacha, really sincere. And he has he has a conscience, uh, but not a very effective conscience. No, actually, that's that's one of my favorite recurring bits when he gets like the muscle bound angel and demon on his shoulder. <laughs> and the, the his angel isn't that much smarter than he is, so he can't make good counter arguments against the devils. Like you know, yeah, yeah, you, you should you should listen to him because look what I can do. And like the devil starts doing one handed push ups, the angel's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I just imagine that like that's that's the moral dimension that's been going on in his head his entire life, and so that's how he became the muscle bound bully boy for uh, this uh, evil uh, evil chancellor. What did you think of the music in this movie? We only get two songs in the film proper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I gotta say it's Tom Jones. I love those songs. I also love that they both kind of exist as like little mini music videos. Uh, inside the movie, I like Tom Jones' like little 
swinging you know musician character they make they make a really good impression but yeah this this movie even as a like it should have at least one more song even as a joke I, and I think as much as I love this movie the only thing that I despise about this movie is that Eartha Kitt doesn't get a villain song she has such an amazing voice and has been like she was she was a, a musician before she was known as an actress the fact mm-hmm. that she does not get a villain song is a crime. Yeah, in that uh, Sweatbox documentary, they have her. They show her recording a villain song for the original version of the movie Kingdom of the Sun. Oh, damn! I missed that and scene. I got to track that down. Also, in in that documentary, um, th- there's a scene later on. It shows them recording the uh, oh, what, what's the big musical number that's at the beginning, and they play it again at the end. Oh, the the llama song. Oh, you're talking about the documentary in the movie. No, no, I'm sorry. In the movie, oh, in the oh, in the movie, yeah, that that it's just, it's just like a song in praise of Cusco, right? And uh, they in in the documentary they show them um, recording lyrics of Isma singing part of the song, where oh. it's sort of a competition where Cusco, you know, da 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 Cusco, and then Isma is like, I do this, 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 and that, that Isma, right? It's a different, you know, sort of <laughs> same melody, but it's sort of a, a counterpoint. So they recorded some music with her, just, you know, none of it was really used. And then over the end credits, we get the song My Funny Friend and Me, performed by Stain, mm. which uh, I don't think really fits at all. It's, it's sort of heartfelt. It's what you sort of think of a stereotype of, of Stain's solo work. Well, it's it's also, it's clearly, I mean, it's clearly from an earlier version of the film. Yeah, e- even in the, um, in the documentary, they he watches the the new groove film and then he says like the song at the end credits my song doesn't work at all you you see this madcap funny movie and then you get this sort of sincere <laughs> song which was nominated for an oscar but it's only because every disney song was at the time so Oh, can I can I get, uh, put a little bit of uh, praise on uh Wendy Malick who plays Potch's wife Chicha Yes, there, like she, it's it's a great character. I like that she has some initiative, especially like when there's a great there's a great bit where Isma and Kronk kind of sneak into Pacha's house and pretend to be distant relatives so they can search it for the lo, for the llamafied uh, Prince Cusco, and she sees through their disguise and then helps the kids fight, like leads the kids to to kick them out of the house, which is really great. But something that I I find fascinating is that her character is pregnant, but she doesn't give birth in the movie like that that seems i i love the fact that that's like a a birth is set up but we don't we don't get to see it uh, i think it's just so wonderfully sort of self-contained and slice of life well she has a nice uh, attitude to her the the rapport between her and john goodman is as pacha is nice i think i'm looking over here at the the history of the disney animated films released and the emperor's new groove was in an interesting time because Pixar had been going for, uh, you know, about five years there with Toy Story and Toy Story 2 and stuff like that. And then the Disney 2D animated stuff, the last huge one you got was like Tarzan and Fantasia 2000 before this. And, the, wh- and where does Home on the Range fall on Home this? on the Range wasn't until 2004. I mean, really oh, late. Oh, what? yeah, that was post-Treasure Planet. Yes, and Treasure Planet was a famous huge, huge flop. That was a weird um, era. And, you know, after this, you know, Disney did, like, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and uh, Lilo and Stitch was pretty good. But, I mean, they, so they struggled a lot with the 2D output um, around this time. But Emperor's New Groove is, it, it felt fresh 
because it was it didn't take itself seriously. It was light on its feet. It was funny. It was um, I I, th- I think too it has this very this humor that's sort of ahead of its time where it's sort of giving commentary on itself, even from the beginning where you see uh, you know you hear the the narration of uh, David Spade as Cusco and you see him as a as a llama. I'm sorry, what was the audio cut out on my end? What was that last thing you said? Oh, um, so I mean, this movie, it felt fresh. It was very, uh, you know, it's light on its feet, and it, it breaks the fourth wall a lot, even with the narration in the beginning where it shows Cusco as a llama but I don't in think... the jungle, and it rains. Yeah, though I don't think, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that hurts the film. I mean, it, no, it kind no. of front loads, because I guess if you started immediately with the song about how awesome Cusco is, that might be a little bit much, but the fact that we see him, our first glimpse of the character is him down in the dumps, uh, it helps. It gives us just enough sympathy that we can get through that uh, awesome song and find the humor in it. That's right, and um, we get, uh, you know, an example of what a jerk uh, Cusco is. He sends an old man out the. He kicks an old man out the window. And actually, uh, that old man. Uh, is uh, character actor John Fiedler, who passed away, sadly, in 2005, who's probably wo- most well-known. He was the voice of Piglet on the Disney Winnie the Pooh cartoons for ages. Really? Uh, but he was, was he the also original on Piglet? the original series Star Trek episode of Wolf in the Fold. Was he the original Piglet? I, I actually, I don't know if... He, he's had a long enough career uh, that he uh that he could have been i'm trying to find out so you get us oh, yes a... he was he was piglet for disney from the beginning hmm. uh they briefly phil baron did uh, some piglet voice work in the 80s and travis oates has taken over but yeah he was he was the voice of piglet for almost 40 straight years that's pretty amazing it's it's one of those things where like I, I feel like it's it's Disney honoring its legacy by having him play that that old man, but it's kind of the part he was born to play. He just has this perfect ooh, ooh like rickety old man voice. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of really fun um, visual comedy where uh, Isma is trying to poison Cusco. Oh, you're talking about the dinner scene. The dinner scene, yeah. Oh god, no that 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 is great, and and the whole they're just having this wonderful like back and forth. Cusco's trying to like gently bring up the subject of forcing her in retirement. She keeps trying to get Cusco to drink, and I love that Kronk keeps running back and forth, fretting over these like delicate things he's cooking. Oh no, my spinach puffs! It's the spinach puff bit I I love because I get like that when I cook. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about cooking, especially when it's baking, is you spend all this time preparing it, and then you throw it to the oven, and <laughs> either it gets undercooked, it gets cooked just right, or it gets burnt. Yeah. Because it's a... Uh... Can cause a lot of stress. Well, also there's some great animation and prop work, like when she's trying to subtly hint to Kronk that he should just beat the shit out of Cusco, and she grabs the two pieces of broccoli and is like pop- popping them together, going "Fuck him, fuck him on the head," doing that like perfect um, Bob Hope Bing Crosby talking with your teeth gritted, as if that prevents anyone from hearing what you say. And that you get. Um... It, it's a bit unusual how lovable Kronk is as a character, because you think of other, like, 
Disney villain sidekicks, and they're, you know, sort of mean or sort of lackeys or, or toadies, but uh, Kronk has a mind of his own, as slow as it can be. Well, like, he he is he is an endearing dope, and you do get a sense that if he wasn't working for Isma, that he'd probably be like he's only as good as his employer. Um, the other thing is that out of all the Disney villain sidekicks, he has the most to do, and he has true impact on, on the plot. Like Beauty and the uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Gaston sidekick LeFou. No, you could take him out of the movie, and you would not even notice. The Ursula the Sea Witch, Flotsam and Jetsam. You take them out of the movie, you would never notice. This movie happens because of Kronk. His incompetence is what gets the poison swapped with the llama essence that turns Cusco into a llama. He's also the one that fails to kill Cusco by being dumb and lazy and accidentally dropping the bag in the river. In fact, one of the ideas from the executives after the bad uh, initial screening of the early version of Emperor's New Groove is they uh, suggest um, sending the whole film in Nebraska and having it be about sheep instead of llamas. And I, that would be a crime because you'd lose out on the brilliant design work in this film. As, as nice as Nebraska is, and I have been, I have visited that state, we are talking epic Mesoamerican vistas. How can you turn your back on that? That's right. It's um, one of these things where it... You know, I mean, they, they don't spend as much time as they could, I suppose, on the culture. This is not an epic story, though. You're, you're dealing with limited locations. Uh, in in a way, it becomes a bit of an adventure film after they uh, meet up with uh, with Pacha. And you just... Um... I mean, yeah, the, the physicality of the film, I think, is really what makes it stand out from so much of the other Disney work. Yeah, I mean, this, this film really is truly an anomaly. There's no other Disney film like this, and they weren't intentionally trying to break the mold like they did with Lilo and Stitch, although they didn't break the mold that much. Um, this is this is its own weird thing, and it, it's it's. I, I often wonder, looking at, at The Emperor's New Groove, is it as good as it is because of its troubled production history or in spite of it? I think... Because of it, I mean, the whole character of Kronk isn't even something in the original pitch. Um, it, you know, in the original version, that at one point they mentioned they had a, a talking, um, you know, Incan statue voiced by Harvey Firestein. I mean, things were oh, it, yeah. it's so radically different. I almost wish there was a comic book or, or something of the original version. But well, I mean, we there there was I think I think it was in the eighties. There was a book published about Disney productions that were never completed or released. Mm. We need a new volume of that book to cover things like this. Oh, that would be great, wouldn't it? Um... Oh, I've got a question for you. Yeah, because well, for this this is a, one of the, the 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 rare Disney movies that all but openly acknowledges the existence of sex in in a number of ways. But do you do you pick up? On the okay, here's here's what I infer from this film. I infer from this film that the only reason Kronk works for Isma is that she wants a hot young guy to fuck. I didn't really pick up on that as much. I guess I was distracted by uh, Patrick Warburton's comic timing. Because there, there's like when they're f first introduced, there's just these little hints that seem to suggest that that's. 
that that's why she puts up with this dumb guy that he looks that he looks good and that he mm. does something for her in bed. <laughs> and that I mean, he's also, too he's dumb much... to realize that he's being taken advantage of in that way. Yeah, and he's much younger than she is too. That's oh yeah, they comment on that. I mean, they never really nailed down Isma's age. But I know Cusco is like suggests that she's like a hundred and fifty or something <laughs> like that. Although he's being par- partly sarcastic. So after uh, Cusco turns into a llama, Kronk is supposed to throw him over the edge of a waterfall and, and kill him. But he accidentally saves him. Yeah, well, he he accidentally the... gets... He accidentally, instead of dropping into the river, it ends up falling into Pacha's cart, so Pacha ends up carrying sure. him away. And then uh, you, you get this sort of conflict between them because earlier in the film Pacha goes to uh to protest his uh well, well no he, he he doesn't Pacha oh. goes to see Pacha has an audience with Cusco because he received a summons from the emperor and he finds out uh that the reason he was summoned is that Cusco wants to build a summer home uh on the mountain where Pacha lives and like wants to ask where like the best view of the sunrise is and Pacha explains and Cusco oh well that settles it I'll build my home right here and knocks off the model of Pacha's house and puts his castle on top of it and and he he's he's going to drive he's he's going to flat out drive Pacha and his family out of out of his home on the mountaintop for this for this summer home and that's an immediate that's an immediate conflict and it's a nice uh touch when when pacha goes home and his his wife is trying to get details of what happened and pacha is trying to tap dance around it yeah yeah i mean you, you can tell his heart is breaking and he he doesn't want to have to tell his family that they're that they're going to be homeless when the emperor comes in to build his palace and I also like the uh, the way they do the animation for his kids as well. I mean, they act they act silly, yes, but they don't act like too super cutesy, and it's just sort of you know constant well, background noise when well, they're in the house. They don't act cutesy, and they're not precocious. They just That's kind it. of do yep. these well observed, annoying little kid things, but they pull it off in an endearing way. Like when they just get into that match where they're like, "Nah, uh huh, nah, uh huh," mm-hmm. and you can tell they're just looping those same tracks of dialogue along with the animation. Right, and their design is very cool. Uh, you get some, you know, uh, shenanigans as Pacha and Cusco try to uh, go back uh, to the palace, but they go over like a bridge, and they they get chased by animals. There's all sorts of things that happen. Yeah, they're chased by jaguars. They fall into a river. There's like wasn't there's like a crocodiles in the river at one point. Or, no, yeah, I mean, there's Cusco a, I mean, gets... there's sort of a, one of the many gags of them sort of breaking the. You know, sort of playing to uh, sort of going against what you'd expect in a Disney film. They are in the 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 river and they hear all this noise, and then uh, you know, there's sort of this flat conversation between the two. It's very dry, but it's well delivered, and it's like, oh, we're going to fall over a waterfall. Yep, going to plummet to our deaths. Yep. Probably kill us. <laughs> well, let's go. And it's uh, it's just a nice motion. You know, they could have made that sort of an action scene or something sort of scary and instead they just go for the the comedy and i think that after you know i mean before this film quite 
but you know, after like uh, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Lion King, when you thought of we're going to see a Disney cartoon, you sort of would expect, oh, it's based off an old fable or something, and or a short, you know, classic story of out of literature. And there's gonna it's gonna take itself sort of seriously, and there's gonna be a love story, and there's gonna be a lot of sauna dance numbers, and you don't really have any of that here. You you get none of that. No, you get the the musical number at the beginning, and then they kind of reprise it at the end, and uh, it, it just does its own thing. It it really goes to the beat of its own drummer. And just you know, good gags. The movie the movie's just full of of great great little gags a number of them like non sequiturs like Yzma her secret lab and how there's a lever to get into the lab but next to it is a lever that opens a bottomless pit that's underneath the levers and they keep commenting about why do we have that lever lots of lan- lantern hanging I particularly love there's a great chase scene where you know we see on a map the path that Pacha and Kuzco are taking to get back to the, the palace and they're being you know, pursued along the way by Kronk and Yzma and we see, and and we see, they beat, uh, you know, pa- Pasha and Cusco get back to the palace way ahead of Isma, but when they get to the lab to find the human essence to turn him back, Isma uh, and Kronk are there, and they're like, "How do you beat us here?" And then Kronk kind of stops and goes, "You know, you're right. I mean, by all rights, we were like three days journey behind you guys. I don't even know how we got here." <laughs> There'll be time to explain that later when you're dead. Oh, that's great. Well, and I, I just love the scene where they're at the uh, the diner, and <laughs> there's have, a, yeah, there's an ancient Mesoamerican diner, right? And you have Cusco and Pacha are there, and Cusco is in disguise, dressed as a woman, which a, a llama in drag is a pretty funny image, and the affectation David Spade does to the voice is funny as well. Sort of the small talk. And at the same time, you know, Kronk and Yzma are there as well. And there's all this, like, peering around the menu, and are they going to see each other? And it's just a really well-done bit of uh, kind of suspense. But then you have character moments where Kronk earlier mentioned his uh, spinach puffs. And he does stuff in the kitchen. You know, he's taking orders. The, the diner is saying these ridiculous uh, slang words for the different orders. Yeah, he's using hash, hash slinger slang. Yeah, That's we'll right. Need a basket of grandma's breakfast, two cows, uh, and uh, and a, 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 a tire. You know, it's great. Also, the bit where she's looking at the menu. Is there anything on this menu that isn't deep fried? And just the orders changing as Cusco keeps coming in and like customizing the order. It's really great. Um, there's two. There's two. Uh, there's a thing that I really want to uh, uh, praise though is a uh, uh, classic uh, voice actress, uh, Patty. Uh, Patty. Uh, I don't know if it's pronounced Douche or Deutsch, but uh, Pat, Patty. Patty uh, Douche plays uh, the waitress, and she just has this very tired, almost Doris Grau kind of voice. And she just does all the waitress patter perfectly in that flat monotone. And then at the end, when they're like, you know, oh, it's like, oh, when Posh is like, oh, this is my wife here. It's our anniversary. And she's oh, Mazel Tov. And like flicks confetti into the air. Right. Oh, it's uh, so good. And the design is fun for that character. She looks weathered, and it, it, it absolutely works. It's actually isn't she smoking? 
I, I think so. Yeah. Which um, this might be the last Disney movie where you see where you see any kind of uh, any kind of like smoking on on the part of the supporting characters. So you get a lot of the scenes of them getting back to the palace, and then when you do, you get a lot of uh, again good physical gags of the potions where they're trying to find the correct one. Yo, yes, because all the labels, all the potions had their labels ripped off, so there's this great bit where uh, Kronk and Yzma are chasing Cusco and Pacha throughout the palace, and they're juggling the potions, and Cusco just keeps drinking them and changing into different animals, <laughs> including a whale. Uh, and, and there's a great bit where, like, at the end of it, he drinks a potion that turns him into a llama, and he goes, Yay! Yay! I'm a llama again! And Oh, wait, no, I wanted to be human! <laughs> Because we've, we've seen him as a llama in this movie for so long, you know, you, you can kind of be forgiven for sort of assuming that's his default shape. It feels right. The gag of Yzma being transformed into a kitten, I find kind of grating, uh, especially the, the squeaky voice the kitten gets. Well, it's processed. I, I, I like that she has, like, the kitten voice. However, it's so processed that the Eartha kittenness of the voice is lost. I think they, they probably That's shouldn't it. have taken yeah. it that far. Although I do like her shock at hearing her voice. Is that my voice? And the kitten looks cute. Like, I like the design of the kitten. That's it looks kind of like uh, one of the Aristocats. Right, like I think that's on purpose. So, uh, at, and then, uh, the movie, you know, wraps up pretty, pretty quickly there. Well, yeah, as, uh, the, uh, Cusco does return to his, uh, human form, uh, uh, as is traditional for a Disney villain, uh, Yzma falls from a great height. Maybe she's dead, maybe she's not, but she is a cat. Uh, Kronk dives after her, uh, like the dope he is, um, but I do, I do like you know Cusco's like character moment. You know when when he's talking to Pacha by the model of uh, of the mountaintop village, and he's talking about how and he goes on this whole random like Pacha, you know you you endangered me and you lied to me. You said the best view of the sunset was here, but I know that it's here. And he points to the smaller mountain peak next to uh, next to Pacha's place. And that's where he's going to put his house. And it's not even a palace; just a little vacation cabin. It's it's very sweet and very humble. I I think that's like the most important thing. Is not only does Cusco learn uh, learn about friendship, but he learns humility, humility hmm. and simplicity. Uh, and and that's that's I don't think you see enough of that uh, in in any kind of movie, frankly. Yeah, it's a nice payoff because these characters have been through a lot together. Uh, there's a, a moment earlier on I, I didn't uh, I meant to talk about but did not where um, they're like dangling on the bridge and Cusco kind of becomes sort of the shallow. You know, he, he, you think he's going to help Pacha, but instead he sort of flips the script and is kind of more of the jerk he was in the beginning. And I think that's a neat surprise moment. Oh yeah, that's a, that's right before they're falling out, isn't it? Yep. It's, but uh, overall, I like I like the way the movie wraps up, and I liked it. You know, he's like, "Cue the theme song, guy," and we get that reprise of the uh, of the opening theme with just that nice ending line about how a, a perfect world begins and ends with us. And I, right. I realize I probably sound sarcastic saying that, but you know, I I do believe that you you can't wait for a better world to happen. You have to do whatever s- small or big thing you can do to make it happen. 
And sometimes it's as simple as just not being a jerk. Which is, yeah, the the main message of this movie, I think. I don't. Are there are there any other scenes, bits, gags, character designs, what have you, in this movie that stand out to you? Hmm. I, I, uh... I feel like I've given enough enough praise. Although I do like that bit with like with like the cute squirrel, and there's that comment about how it's a little woodland creature waiting to be a character in a theme park. Right, and they speak to him with like squeakum, squeakum, squeakity squeaker. That's right. It's uh. <laughs> Yeah, I just think of Patrick Warburton as Kronk to sort of steals the movie. He's not a, a main character in this or anything, but... Um... Well, he's supposed to be a sidekick, but he, he's given so much to do, and we get to see so many of his comedic chops. Yeah, I, I just think it's... Uh, the movie's a delightful change from the usual Disney uh, you know, formula, if you will. It, it It just has a lot of energy and liveliness. And, I mean, it... Are the characters the deepest? No. Does it have good music? Not really. But it it works in, in spite of itself. Well, I think the characters are just as deep as they need to be to serve the story and the comedy, which is, is very nice and, and streamlined storytelling, quite frankly. Uh, this this movie doesn't burden itself uh, with too much backstory, too much emotion. It's it's you know I, you, I I find myself laughing pretty consistently every time I see this film. Yeah, I mean, it never it, slows down. It has a good pace to it. Actually, when, when you look at uh, at all the, the Disney animated films, I think this is the only straight-up comedy they've ever done. At least as far as feature films go. Yeah, I think you're right, because mostly they uh, have really, some sort of romance in there. Or... There's no schmaltz in this. That's what it is. No, you're right, yeah. And uh, why a lot of other stuff does and oh. has sort of a romance song. And and they even subvert your expectations because one of the first things that happens is that uh, Joe White shows up very early in the film as the Imperial record keeper and he has this little bit about how they have to find Kuzco a bride and they even talk a little bit about some of the, the eligible bachelorettes and it's like a perfect setup for that Disney romance and then, you know, Kuzco's not interested and it never comes up again. I love that subversion. Hmm. Oh, another thing about Patrick Warburton. Of all the people in this movie, he could play his character in live action. Yeah, yeah. It's true. <laughs> it is, uh... Let's see. So, yeah, um, Emperor's New Groove. Sequel yes or sequel no? I'll say sequel yes. Sequel Yes. Now we're going to move on to pitch a sequel. Um, you mind if I go first, Thrasher? No, go right ahead. I have something in mind. So this would sort of uh, do the classic sequel thing of of changing, of, you know, sort of uh, doing uh, the opposite of the original. And this one, uh, Pacha would, would get a, a special gift of um, wine from uh, Cusco. And he opens it, he drinks it, but, oh, Cusco tricked him. It actually is another llama potion. Why would so, Cusco trick him? Cusco would would trick him just to uh, make him think, well, geez, this is what it's like to be a llama. I got to be a llama, now you, my friend Pacha, gets to be a llama. And uh, Pacha becomes a llama, and uh, this does not turn out in the humorous way that Cusco thinks it might. 
In fact, Patra's wife is so distraught, he le- she leaves uh, Pacha for Cusco. <laughs> with with her kids in tow. And they say how, how great Cusco is as a daddy and how much more money he has and all these things. And so it's, it's Pacha as a llama, sort of uh, all alone. His only sidekick is um, Kronk, somehow, agrees to help Pacha as a llama. And you have gags where Croc tries to ride the llama and breaks his back and, and all these things. And it, it's it's similar in that it will be a lot of physical comedy like this film. And um, at the end of this, Pacha turns back into human and uh, into a human. Cusco uh, apologizes uh, Cus- and uh, Pacha's wife gets embarrassed that she almost left Pacha for Cusco. And uh, then at the, the movie ends where Pacha gives Cusco a pie. And Cusco bites into it, goes, mmm, this is delicious, but the taste is kind of familiar. And then he turns into a llama once again as it ends. And then he looks in the camera and goes, here we go again. And then the song Freeze Frame plays. Right, or he, he winks. Or, or, or maybe, he, maybe he chews into good. the pie, he's smiling, and then we see his, his jaw juts out it you know he starts to and he looks over in the mirror and sees that he's now a llama and he says not again <laughs> not even a call back to yay i'm a llama again that's right and it would be called uh pacha's not so new groove <laughs> so i feel i feel like there's probably a lot of erotic fan fiction that has the exact same setup as your sequel pitch and that involves Probably Cusco so. hooking up with uh, with uh, Pacha's wife, uh, Chicha. So what's your pitch of sequel? Okay, uh, my uh, my pitch of uh, sequel is uh, going to be uh, Cusco and the No Good, Very Bad, Not Groovy Day. Okay. So, I'm going to take advantage of the ambiguous falling death of Yzma. Turns out she's not dead, but she's still trapped in the body of a cat. And so uh, what she does is she finds out that, you know, the, the, the Empire has a lot of stray uh, animals. And so what she does is she gets those animals organized and leads her own animal-based rebellion uh, against the Empire. They start, you know, eating all the Empire's grain, scaring off the livestock, or making the livestock so hostile, like, makes the llamas so hostile they can't be sheared to make clothes. So people's clothes get get pretty ratty and tatty, and there's a lot of uh, comical butt shots uh, as people's pants fall down, or there's holes in their pants where their butt would be, that kind of thing. And so the Empire is falling into chaos, and this is Kuzco's first big, you know, uh, test of leadership but Cusco so loves living this relaxed life in his mountaintop vacation home where he can just swim in a little pool and play with uh play with the neighborhood kids that like he kind of doesn't want to leave it and he doesn't want to take responsibility but that's what he and Pacha end up doing Pacha ends up you know no I you know I've I've you know I've got you know three kids and a wife and my own little home here I had to take responsibility for that you've got a whole empire you got to take responsibility for that I want to apologize to John Goodman for that horrible <laughs> impression so they go on so they go uh he, he they go back to the capital uh to deal with this animal problem uh and it inv- and it does involve Cusco uh, realizes that the llamas are the keys to uh, restoring order. So Cusco 
drinks a llama potion, becomes a llama, and leads a llama army to drive all the rats and stuff uh, out of the capital and, you know, track down Yzma. But when what you think is going to be a big violent confrontation is, you know, Cusco is learning, is has Cusco has now learned responsibility, and he realizes the whole reason... <laughs> Uh, Kitty Yzma was able to organize all these animals uh, to uh, fight the Empire uh, is that no one was caring for these animals. They were strays. They were abandoned. They were the old dogs. They were the stray cats. Uh, the animals that nobody that nobody cared for and that nobody took responsibility for. Uh, and so instead of fighting, instead of fighting them off. Cusco essentially opens a kennel and a veterinarian's clinic and and an adoption service for these stray animals and puts them in families. Include uh, it helps it helps them find families who will love them. And that's how he and that's how he stops this this uh, animal animal craziness is with a mixture of love and responsibility. Uh, and in the end, in the end, Isma gets adopted by Pacha's family and becomes the favorite pet of their little baby. Hmm. And she sort of she loves all the affection and attention, but she hates being a pet. <laughs> but yeah. she gets a nice cushion, which is as close to a throne as she'll ever come. Uh, so that's going to be Cusco uh, and the no good, uh, awful, very bad, not groovy day. I see. Very good. So um, next week we're going to be talking about Kronk's new groove. Boy, howdy! Right now. We're going to be uh, doing a What You're Watching, which we talk about something we've been uh, seeing lately. So, Thrasher, What You're Watching. Well, uh, uh, as you know, I, I do love great trash. Uh, so, uh, over the past week, I re-familiarized myself with a wonderful uh, gem and showcase for great trash from the late 90s. Uh, and that's USA's Real Wild Cinema. Are, are you familiar with that program? No. Oh, it was a late night show that aired on the USA Network, ran for uh, two seasons. It was hosted by uh, comedian Sandra Bernhard, uh, speak, you know, speaking of you know people who appreciate camp. And it was uh, every episode, it was an hour long, and it had a theme, and it was her hosting uh, clips and of of B movies and C movies and sometimes D movies that fit that theme. And as, as she put it, we cut out the bad parts. So you only have to watch the really bad parts. And so one of the cool things is some episodes you could get two full B movies, but they would strip all the padding and the clutter out of it. So you got the full story, but just the best parts. Uh, she would also typically, uh, interview somebody who had some sort of connection to B movies. She interviews, uh, Lloyd Kaufman. She interviews uh, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis, the 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 maestro of gore. Uh, Roger Corman. Uh, also, uh, uh, stand-up comedian, writer, and B movie devotee Dana Gould has a really good interview. It's just such an entertaining show, and you get exposed to so many crazy B, C, and D list films. Oh, and you could watch it legally. The show was. Uh, produced by Something Weird Video, which is kind of a clearinghouse for those kinds of movies, uh, they have put the entire run of the series up on their YouTube channel, uh, just uh, which I believe you can. Uh, it's under the name uh, somethingweirdvideo.com. That's the okay. name of the YouTube channel. That's not their website. But if you look that up on YouTube, you can find it. 
Oh yeah, yeah, and, and they do great topics. They do uh, uh, sci uh, sci fi invasion movies, uh, burlesque reels. Their burlesque reel episode, the burlesque reel episode, and the nudie cutie episodes are both fascinating. Uh, Japanese monsters get an episode. Swords and sandals get two episodes. The children in peril movie uh, is great. Uh, it's got a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, K. Gordon Murray film clips show up in that one, who people may remember as the producer of the Santa Claus film that was used in the second Mystery Science Theater 3000 Christmas special. I see. Very cool. And if you really get into it, they also released on their YouTube feed the unaired pilot for the series. I was... um... Was like, I was checking out, uh, at least thing I've been doing is listening to a podcast that is hosted by Mick Garris. Oh. And Mick Garris, for those who don't know, is um, he's written and directed a lot of Stephen King TV movies like The Shining and The Stand. But he also has, um, you know, directed other things like, uh, I believe, Critters 2 and... <laughs> All sorts of things. But on, on the show Postmortem, he, he talks to horror movie directors. And uh, I listened to two episodes. On one, he talked to Rob Zombie. And the other, he talks to Joe Dante and John Landis. Cool. Which is real fun. I um, love all three of those people. Yeah. And uh, Joe Dante and John Landis, they they have some interesting feelings on uh, Donald Trump. Which mm-hmm. is, is fun to hear. But they also talk about um mick garris also created the show masters of horror which joe dante and john landis each did a few episodes of and and they mentioned how all the uh, directors involved with that enjoyed it because even though they had a low budget they had freedom to do whatever they wanted and uh they decided to make a you know each episode was like a separate short film about an hour in length and uh it's pretty pretty interesting um rob zombie also talks about how he uh the the tortured development behind this um animated film he did the uh, haunted world of el supervisto yes and how it took several years to make and they were kept on giving money to work on it so it what was supposed to only take two years ended up taking five years and then when the uh, the company in charge of it went through so many different owners that when it was finally released, it was just dumped direct to video, pretty much. Hmm. But uh, postmortem with Mick Garris, I found pretty enjoyable to uh, to listen to. So that that's something I've been checking out lately. And then I've been watching a bit of a 1930s horror film, but I don't want to talk about it until I'm done watching it. Ah, gotcha. So I'll save that for next time. Oh, hey, so fun. Fun news about Rob Zombie. Do you know what his next project is? Is it the Marx Brothers? Yes, he's directing a uh, he's directing a biography of Groucho Marx based on the book uh, Raised Eyebrows, which was all about Groucho Marx in the last years of his life. Yeah, and in fact, I only knew that because I listened to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal podcast. That's where I learned about it too. Oh, is, is it? Yeah, and they episode. they talked to the author. Steve Stellaire. And Who does great uh, impressions of the Marx Brothers. He does, and has a lot of great stories. That makes me... I, I need to check out that book. But, um... 
Yeah, it sounded like Groucho Marx was was one of those guys that he just he kept on working. The Marx Brothers had an interesting career. I think the thing that I was surprised about is to see that they didn't have that many... The Marx Brothers didn't have that many feature films together. Well, I mean, they didn't crank them out like... like no, no, not like they. the Three Stooges. Yeah. Um, so, all very interesting. In fact, they recently came out with a, uh, a Blu-ray set of five uh, Marx Brothers movies. I'll have to check that out. And yeah. actually, I believe uh, the Raised Eyebrows, I believe the screenplay is written by the guys who did the screenplay for Ed Wood. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, those guys are good. Uh, very good. So, let's... Um, yeah, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. And you can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. And you can uh, check out the show on Twitter at SequelCast2. Uh, look up SequelCast2 on iTunes. Leave us a nice review. You can also check us out on Stitcher. Uh, if you look online, you can find us pretty easy. You also have a Facebook page. Just look up SequelCast2 on Facebook. You get the idea. You Again, can send the theme us song... messages. Maybe we'll turn your suggestion into a feature on the show. Maybe we won't. We'll find out. Right. And um, that's exactly right. And uh, so until uh, next time, we're going to talk about Kronk's New Groove, the direct-to-video sequel to Emperor's New Groove, the show we discussed in this, film, in this uh, podcast. So, for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. Squeak, squeaker, squeak, uh, squeakity, squeaking. Squeak, squeaky, squeaking. Uh, squeak, uh, squeaker, squeak, squeaking, squeak. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.